Hi, this is Matthias and today I talk with Ladislas Maurice from The Wandering Investor about international investing and diversification. In this episode, we look into our passion for finding outstanding investments worldwide. But who is Ladislas? Ladislas studied outside of Europe, in Australia and Canada and was working in Africa for a Swiss multinational company. And there he gained a lot of international experience in a leadership position. After his career, he now solely focusing on researching and traveling, especially in the frontier and emerging markets. And he is excited about finding undervalued investment opportunities. In this episode, we talk about his approach, current opportunities in different countries and why you definitely should become a plumber in Africa and check out Uranium. Yeah, so great episode ahead. See you in a bit. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Arminta, and Matthias. So hello, everybody, to another episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. Uh, it's another video session also, um, so I can see actually my podcast guest. Um, today with me is Ladislas. Say hi, Ladislas. Hey, how are you? And um, yeah, today we're going to talk about, I think we have said, had that um, a lot of times recently, but it's still, it's a hot topic. Everybody's uh, talking about it and uh, has to figure out how to improve tax and so on. And that's why we're talking about internationalization and also um, Ladislav's interesting uh, story and past. And we have also some tips maybe about uh, countries and um, how Ladislav um, is approaching investing, which could be interesting. Um, so let's dive right into it. I would say uh, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about your story, uh, Ladislav, what you kind of your biography, because I think it's, it's interesting enough uh, in itself, I would say. <laughs> Great. Yeah, with pleasure. So I, I have, um, I did my, my undergrad in, in Canada in business and my postgrad in business and, and in law in Australia. And when I was studying, I did all my internships in, in the former Soviet Union and in Eastern Europe and, and all these countries. After university, I got a job with uh, Nestle, the big food company. So I did the whole corporate thing for seven years. I started in Switzerland and then I was in, in Africa. So South Africa for four years and then Ghana for three years. My last role there was being in charge of the, the dairy business mm -hmm. uh, for four West African countries for, for Nestle. So during all those years in Africa, I traveled all, all over the continent. It was a really great experience. But then at the age of 30, I decided, like a lot of your audience, that I didn't necessarily want to always have a boss. And I wanted more freedom in my life, even if it, even if it meant leaving that cushy job and that great career. But I, I just... I wanted freedom. I wanted to, to feel like I was living mm. more than, you know, working 70 hours a week um, in a corporate job. So I left at the age of 30 and I went on a really an eye-opening road trip. Mm -hmm. um, I did this with my parents, actually. We drove from Oman to Paris by car. So <laughs> through all of Iran, mm. Armenia, Georgia, across all of Turkey, went into the Balkans, Eastern Europe, and then And then, um, and then Paris. And honestly, I just going through this, going around these countries, discovering these places, you could see all these opportunities all along these countries that people just haven't really heard of, like, you know, Armenia, Georgia, mm -hmm. and you can see reforms taking place, even going around Turkey, for example. I mean, mm -hmm. most Europeans still think that Turkey is backwards. It's not. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> you drive around and Turkey is not just Istanbul and, um, and uh, Antalya. You, all over Turkey, all the highways are brand new. There are cities in the middle of Turkey that no one's in Europe has ever heard about, like Konya with like 1 million plus people, large cities by European standards and everything is new. New highways, new hospitals, new campuses, everything new. Everything's new, great infrastructure. And this this really opened my my eyes to the to the opportunities. And along the way, I saw some I saw some um, some things I could do. So I started doing some property deals. I had already started when I was working in in corporates. So I did. Uh, I started. I was doing some property deals in in America, and then I started doing property deals in Eastern Europe and the Balkans. And I gradually got involved in uh, more investments, et cetera, et cetera. Started going well, and then I. I didn't actually really need to have a job anymore. So now I've become a, a full-time investor. I travel around the world, um, not just in Europe, but in Africa as well, Asia, Latin America. And I just look at different um, different investment opportunities, invest in some of them, report on others. And it's, it's very interesting. And um, so maybe for, as I could have heard from what you told me is also that your parents had some role in like making you ready or so that you, I mean, most of us are more afraid to invest in other countries because they just stayed at home, like in the UK or Netherlands and so on. But your parents actually uh, have taken you through all of the countries at, at a very early age. Um, have they, are they kind of diplomats or what, what are they doing that they have no. this kind of life is just... No. No, my, yeah, just traveling. My father is a university professor. Nothing, nothing special. The road trip we went on was a trip together. I wouldn't say it's like they took me along. Uh, it was just a road trip we decided to to do together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And and you also, aside from this road trip, you also have um, you had this corporate career. So you you studied in different countries. So first of all, so that's also maybe shaping some international mindset. Mm -hmm. And then you also. Uh, you haven't worked in Switzerland, basically, but in, in, in Africa and built a business there, also in a leadership position, uh, partially, uh, I, I read. So, um, and that also maybe led to that you also have some, I mean, you haven't been in the US or in, in Canada, or no, you have been in Canada, but you have also been in, in a lot of these frontier markets or emerging markets. Um, so you have no, you're not afraid of these countries, basically. Look, honestly, people overestimate the risk in frontier markets. Mm. So I'm not, again, this is not financial advice, investment advice for your audience. <laughs> But um, generally, people overestimate the risk. They think it's a mm. lot riskier than it actually is. It's mm. important to actually go to these places, spend time on the ground and, and see for yourself. But, mm. um, you know, it's like you hear, of, you know, if you go to Russia, you're going to get murdered. If you go to South Africa, you're not going to come out alive. Generally, it's fine. You know, you're likelier to get mugged in like Brussels. Hmm. And um, so, seeing this and you, you seeing that you you kind of survive all of these countries also makes you kind of fearless, or you kind of have a more realistic uh, sense for the risk in, in these countries. And um, so, and that's why. And you and what you also built a local network. I've I've read in one of your blog articles that you go to a country. First of all, spend some time, figure out who are the key players there. And could you dive a little bit deeper into how sure. you yeah, network in these 
Sure. Places. So typically I'll go to a country, I identify a place. For example, last year, November, I went to Uzbekistan for a month. Mm. I could see from a macro perspective that Uzbekistan was very interesting. Mm. The, the population is booming. It has very low debt levels. Uh, the government, it, it used to be a complete dictatorship and then the dictator died, a new president took power and he's been putting very IMF-like reforms in, in place. Uh, so he's really liberalized the economy and he's privatizing a lot of the a lot of the economy and mm. putting out the red carpet for for foreign investors. All the macro metrics that you look at for Uzbekistan mm. are positive. Mm. So I saw this and I was like, huh, you yeah, know, let me go there. I went there with the idea of buying an apartment because you can buy real estate downtown in, in Tashkent in the capital city for a thousand dollars a square meter which is very attractive with yields of 8 to 10%. So that was my idea. Go there, buy an apartment, hold it long-term, You know, wait till it gets to 1,500, 2,000 square meter, maybe flip it. Mm. And in the meantime, collect my rent. And so I spent a month on the ground. I spoke to you know, bankers, lawyers, other expats, local, local business people. And I reached the conclusion that actually the real estate play was a little complicated from a, a legal point of view. It was a bit of a gray zone, uh, mm. doable, but a bit of a gray zone. Then I saw some extremely undervalued shares on the local stock exchange. Mm. So instead of buying an apartment, I ended up buying, uh, I ended up buying shares on the Tashkent Stock Exchange. <laughs> so it's really about going to the country, just getting some Airbnb, you know, just whatever uh, mm. for the month. And just, you know, trying to lead a local life for a month and a month or two or three months. I usually do, you know, slow travel. I spend time in places mm. and getting to meet people. And that's how you, you hear of the opportunities. And uh, the, the skills you acquired in the, in the corporate sphere, have they kind of helped you? Did, have you learned about negotiation or investing or business development I mean, or networking or sales or something like that that you could also use then later on in... I, mean, I guess. I mean, when you learn to run a like $100 million business, it helps to have discussions with other business people. Mm. And you, it's just mostly traveling. You know, it's just common sense. Like ultimately, it's just all common sense. It's, it's not complicated. Just, mm. you know, go somewhere, try to understand how things operate, you know, speak to people, listen more than talk. When you talk, it's to ask a question. It's not to talk about yourself. Um, and then that's how you get to learn and just read a lot as well. Just, you know, try to just get culture and that's it. I wouldn't say that, you know, working as like at, at KPMG before, or like doing whatever is, is a prerequisite to, to being mm. a good investor. Um, yeah. Maybe the opposite is the case. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, Potentially the opposite's the case. Yeah. But then one, one question, um, I, I told my wife that you work, have worked for Nestle and so on. And she said, oh, Nestle is bad as bad. And in Africa, haven't they sold the water uh, in Africa um, to make money? <laughs> so what's your take on this uh, ethical questions about Nestle from the inside? Look, when I was working at Nestle, it, like compliance was like a nightmare when it came to all these Mm. All like communication, anything that was related to children and like infant nutrition and that, like if you did one thing wrong, mm. you, you just get fired. You like, you're done. Um, so it's just, I mean, in the past, maybe there were issues, uh, but now it's like, you don't want to, like, it's really not a, a part of port pol corporate policy to do anything unethical. 
if you do something and you get caught, you're you're done. Yeah, so I, I could, didn't encounter anything at all. I could imagine that they, after the, I think the bad, bad news that they, um, yeah, put some compliance rules in place to protect their brand and also in the future. Yeah, yeah. Um, but compliance also could be really a nightmare because you have all these rules and so on and spend a lot um, lot of time to com Com comply well, actually, and document and audit and bar. <laughs> let, let, me, let me put it this way. Hmm. Compliance is the reason I decided to fire. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's um, why I wanted financial independence and freedom because of compliance. Okay, um, it's a good good to know, and I think many people who work in corporate jobs they they can they know, and I also work in consulting and uh, working for m multiple uh, big companies. I also know the <laughs> yeah. compliance rules and so on. So it takes a lot of energy. Yeah, so very good. And I would like to also talk uh, about maybe some of the countries. Maybe take a step back before. What what are your uh, favorite investment types? So you talked a lot about uh, real estate. Um, but and also the the stock market. But is there anything else? Also, I like. Do you like acquiring businesses or? So that's a very good question. It's look on my blog. I talk uh, thewanderinginvestor.com. I do a lot of real estate market analysis because it's it's what's close to my heart. So I do have a fair amount of exposure to real estate, but that's certainly not the only thing I invest in. Like you said, stock market, mining, a lot of mining these days. Mm -hmm. The, the Crypto as well, though I don't actually write about crypto because I don't really know much about crypto. <laughs> I think like most people invest in crypto. I don't really know anything about it. No. Um, the, the reality is that it really depends on people's objectives and risk profile. Um, so whatever I prefer is strictly personal and it's not necessarily what you know my audience should prefer for themselves. Hmm. So you you also test some some things you're not writing about in the blog, uh, like uh, new experiments like on crypto um, yeah. and so on. I also basically do crypto, but not talking about uh, too much because I'm just doing it for two years. So yeah. I'm also a beginner. Um, but I, th I, I thought I found out that there is also strategies that are kind of reliable in, in crypto, but you have to dig deep uh, and have some experience to yeah, understand maybe. that. And, um, and another question was, first of all, one question was as a European, so you, you have also a view from outside of, of Europe as you're already not in Europe right now. And why is Europe A, so boring? B, uh, why do they get away with these high tax? Because there are so many other countries and there must be some competition, but uh, I don't know. But They're talking about new West tax right now. I, don't I mean, I, I wouldn't say Europe is born. Uh, you're in, you're in Belgium, right? Are you? No, um, it's it's close. It's it's Germany. <laughs> okay. Uh, compared well, okay, to so, other places, like, like compared to China or to uh, to San Francisco, Texas, or whatever, there's just much more going on, more venture capital and so on. From a business point of view, for sure. Uh, from a cultural point of view, from a living point of view, honestly, like nothing beats being in Europe in summer. Like. Hmm. It's it's the best place to be in summer and any, anywhere in the world, uh, but yeah, from a business point of view, look, it's it's a social contract. Europe, mm. when you live in Western Europe, it's a social contract. You grow up, the state you know pays for you, uh, pays for your university. Then mm. when you're a young adult, you mostly pay to the government. You pay back, mm. uh, and then once you start having you know at least three children and they get educated, then you get money back, and then you retire, you get some hopefully money back as well. So. If, if you're fine with this, 
Europe is fantastic. If you have an issue with paying for other people's children and grandparents and people who decide to do nothing during your working years when you're young, then Europe is not for you. Yeah. So it's, I, I wouldn't criticize Europe and say, oh, it's finished. It's not good. Blah, 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 blah. It's just, it's a, ultimately it's a philosophical decision that people need to make for themselves. Do I want to sign this social contract or mm -hmm. do I rather prefer to be on my own and not have, not depend on the state, but also not expect the state to ask me for too much? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, uh, if you can, if you are aligned with the values uh, that we have in Europe, kind of, uh, or, or not, um, yet yeah, it's hard to get both so <laughs> low tax and uh, good uh, social security and so on. Um, anyway, but uh, what what are some some cool places? Let's talk about some some of the cool places that you could recommend. We also you mentioned already Uzbekistan. You also highlighted some opportunities there. Uh, in your blog, you all, I've also read some some downsides on Uzbekistan, like um, conflict with China or yeah, some political risk. Um, would you say it's it, it's safe? Look, Tell me, I mean, a little, yeah. Look, I mean, the the place is, is clearly not a democracy. Then again, it's it's a philosophical decision that people need to make for themselves. Hmm. Um, are they comfortable living in what is not a democracy? Hmm. Are they not comfortable? You know, it's also questionable whether Western Europe is actually democratic these days, but that's another topic. <laughs> And then there's another philosophical question is, if you're an investor, does your money care? You know, you're trying to build your, your nest for retirement. Does your retirement nest care whether it invests in a non-democracy or not? Um, mm. So it's really up to people. But the political risk, I mean, there's political risk everywhere. You can be in, in, in Europe and you can invest. And then suddenly the French government can decide that actually you don't get this tax break anymore. And now you need to, you know, revamp your house for green measures and whatever. So now you. Yeah. Or you, you buy some real estate in Berlin and they, they um, kind of. And Airbnb. Boom. They, they ban Airbnb or they kept the, the increase of rent that you can do per year. Uh, what yeah. they did, um, or um, they're talking about a new uh, that real estate investors could should pay for uh, Corona, so they could increase tax there. So it's really, um, but so yeah. yeah, so you know, you can you can get to invest in a country with a booming population, tons of gold reserves, low debt to GDP ratio, and a country that is implementing neoliberal reforms. Um, and there's a bit of political risk, or you go for the the case in Western Europe where there's there's bound to be more taxes, more socialism, and more redistribution, which mm. you may or may not be fine with. But ultimately, it's a, it's a choice people need to make. And I mm. think I think that's that's what I'd say to young Europeans who want financial independence is try to look for countries with a growth story. If mm. you're If you, if you want to invest or even if you want to start over yourself, you know, the, the reality is that some countries like Uzbekistan or Ivory Coast, I spent quite a bit of time in Ivory Coast in West Africa, in uh, Abidjan, very nice country. Uh, they emerged out of civil war in, in, um, in 2011. And since then, the country has been booming. There's always a bit of political unrest. Uh, but generally, from a business point of view, it's, it's a very, very good place to be. The reality is if, you, if you're a young European and you have access to a bit of capital, hmm. you can just go there and 
go to these countries and with, you know, have at least, you know, 40, 50,000 euros to start a business or something. And you, you can, you can do anything. Mm. There is, there is a lack of supply of, of many goods and services. And in many cases, lack of, lack of skills. Like if, if I was a plumber, for example, I mean, if you want to make money, let me tell you how you can make money if you're European. <laughs> if you study okay. sociology or you study political science and you're in some dead-end job earning 1,500 euros a month mm-hmm. and you're not seeing the end of it, learn to become a plumber. It'll take a year or two. Move to Ivory Coast and be the premium plumber. Be the European plumber guy that then you know recruits local guys, builds them up, and has you know two, three guys under him, four guys working under him or her. And just develops a plumbing business with competent skills and good marketing, which is not that hard to do. Again, you don't need to be an expert to do good marketing there. Um, and then you suddenly find yourself with a with a good business, and you'll be earning potentially six figures fairly quickly. <laughs> okay, Literally. so you just have to maybe bring some the quality you kind of um, yeah. yeah from from Europe. Uh, bring quality. Africa. Bring punctuality. Mm. Bring skills, bring honesty, and charge a premium price. Charge European prices. You'll you'll have a market. Cool, um, but you have to live live there also. Yeah, you Asha. have to live there. Yeah, that's part of the deal. You know, you got to live mm. there, and you got to deal with like getting malaria. You know, um, you got to deal <laughs> with the fact that the government is not going to take care of you. If anything, the government might try to like try mm. to get stuff from you once in a while, but you know, you'll deal with it, and life will be fine. Mm. And how much money, uh, as, as we talked about it, how much money do you think is um, necessary to start in internationalizing, so go buying some property in Uzbekistan or opening a business in an African country? Look, it's always better, like for a business, it's always better to have like at least some starting capital. Um, so, you know, that really depends on the business. In terms of investing, the reality is you can start from, you know, your first 100 euros. Because if you, for example, are, let's say you're German, great, you're German, you live in Germany, right. um, already you have a lot of German exposure. You potentially grew up in Germany, you mm. speak the language, you have your social contributions, you know, your retirement, you have some amount of retirement in the future that mm. is linked to the German economy. You have your network, which is German, and your work experience, which is German related. So from that point of view, you, you're already not diversified enough. You're, you're too exposed to Germany. So for maybe your first thing should be, apart from maybe buying your own house, which is always a you know, safety thing, is investing things abroad to have that diversification. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you could, you could also invest abroad just buying an ETF, um, getting sure. the 7%. And you kind of diversified, although the, the yield is kind of kept. Um, <laughs> but would you say, um, why not just buying an ETF to diversify? And um, I mean, you you mentioned buying a house for 80% in the Ukraine, Ukraine or Ukraine. How, I mean, there's also some, some risk. So you have the 18% yield, but it, there's some yeah some some risk that it could be damaged by in, in the war or whatever so in the end you have, you have some risk and isn't it then the same amount of yield like with the ETF is a lower risk than if you just risk adjust these both investments 
Yeah. So the, the one in Ukraine for 18% is a fund managed by a Canadian and it should pay out dividends of about 10%, but it's in a very niche market. Mm -hmm. If you buy real estate for yourself in Kiev and the capital, you're, you can get gross yields of 8 to 9%. Um, so once you take into account uh, management fees and taxes and blah, blah, you'll, you'll get less than the 7%. And I don't know what ETF you're referring to, but in, in that ETF you're, you're mentioning, look, it's, it's not really a matter of one or the other. It's, again, it's all about being reasonable, being diversified, and being comfortable with the risk profile of one's investments. You know, mm. some people are cool with investment, with risk. Others are just not. Um, so it's, it's up to, so I, I wouldn't say one is better than the other. It's, mm. it's up to, you know, each individual person to make that decision for themselves. And they shouldn't rely on, they should be very careful with all these financial advisors, et cetera. Ultimately, it's, you know, it's their own decision. People need to spend more time managing their own finances. It's a very important aspect of, of one's life to just simply outsource all of it to someone else. Only you understand your mm. true motivations, objectives, and, and risk profile. So people need to do work on this themselves. So you also wouldn't suggest that if people are just living in, in Europe and want to invest in Uzbekistan or in Nicaragua, just call somebody, they find on YouTube some advisor and ask, oh, can you help me find some investment? So they should go there and spend some time understanding the market and so on. So you would say it's they necessary. Can. It, they can. I mean, the, the, like, there are competent people who can manage your money. That's, that's not an issue. There are, like, there's a fund manager in, uh, in, um, it's called, a, the fund is called AFC Uzbekistan. I don't make a commission for mentioning it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, the, the fund is, is well managed, it's competent. There are some fees, but it's, it's a complicated market to navigate by yourself. There are no ETFs. Um, mm. You need an active fund manager to, to play the market, you know, mm. and it's fine. The, the reality is also people need to decide how much time are they willing to allocate to managing their personal finances. If you have a thriving business and you're making, I don't know, a few hundred thousand dollars a year, you probably don't want to go to Uzbekistan and spend a month there uh, to look at like investments mm. whilst you have your, your business that's clearly giving you better cash flow. You know, you should be focusing on this. And, but being aware enough to understand what your general portfolio strategy should be for your personal finances, to mm. be able to entrust that money with the right people. So again, there's no one size fits all for, for any of these, for any of those questions. Mm. And you're, you're kind of, I would say a little bit younger than me, like in the beginning of your thirties. Uh, how Thank did, you. How did, how, <laughs> it was, was no compliment, just a statement. No, um, how did you learn the, um, how did you approach learning in, uh, investing, for example? Is it by accident or you have you made some due diligence courses in some university portfolio theory? How, how have, did you approach uh, learning about investing? Look, it's, it's a lot of common sense, I'd say. I mean, sure, I did the whole, I mean, I studied business and I managed a large business for Nestle and blah, blah, blah. But like, it's common sense. I, you know, just follow the news, get different perspectives. Don't just watch, you know, Western media, watch the other media, mm -hmm. you know, dig left, right and center to get different perspectives on, on things. Mm -hmm. um, follow trends, listen, have a generally 
okay understanding of numbers and balance sheets and PLs. And there you go, you know, and admit to yourself that you can always be wrong. So be humble as well. Hmm. So um, not that, yeah, not a straight approach, uh, I would say. Yeah. Um, it's, com just... it's a lot of common sense and, and, and trying and... to be contrarian. So that that's hmm. where the real money is, is, is being contrarian. Hmm. Um, How I'd was say... a guy called who, uh, who yeah, is influencer in this contrarian theory? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't um, so, but it just, it just means be not uh, cyclical, but uh, doing the oh, the, so oh yeah, 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 contrarian. Yeah, so it means going against the crowd. So whatever the crowd thinks, you you try to think of the opposite. It doesn't mean you're going to pull the trigger on it, but you're mm. always trying to see the other side of things. Mm. And the key with contrarian investing is 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 trying to get things at a at a bottom but also understanding what the catalysts are because that's very important. You know, you can buy something cheap, but it can mm. stay cheap for a long time. Um, yeah. I can show you cheap property in you know, many places and it's like, oh, wow, 500 euros a square meter. Oh, great. Uh, but it's going to remain cheap and your money is just going to get stuck there. So it's about thinking differently, but also being honest with yourself in terms of what are the catalysts. You mean there's a value driver? Could there be potentially, could they enter yeah. new markets? Could they have a new product? Um, is there, yeah, something what, like that? What's, what is going to make that thing suddenly change? Why will the outlook on this asset class change? What's mm. going to be driving this? And if you have a few catalysts that can drive this, then that's potentially an, an investment you should be looking at. Yeah, and you sh still should, yeah, know it's that like Uzbek you... equities. Just to get back to Uzbekistan, <laughs> um, you've got, you know, cement companies mm. uh, giving you yields of twenty percent, dividend yields of twenty percent, and that are dirt cheap, um, like very low PE ratios, uh, price to book uh, ratios as well, very low. Mm. But like, what what tells you that in five years' time they still won't be cheap? Yeah. So another example for that would be if you, for example, Uran, if you want to, you could have invested like a year ago in Uran um, the, for the nuclear. Um, oh, uranium. Yeah. Uranium. Yeah. yeah sorry. Uh, uranium. And um, because you, you kind of could uh, assume that there will be uh, the, the green deal and that they may, might wind and sol solar might not be enough to fuel all of these electric cars that are coming out now and all these homes. So you could, kind of assume that you can make a little bit of money uh, with uranium if you are early in this, not if everybody that, knows about it. Matthias, that you are giving the perfect example of a contrarian investment. Uranium, not just uh, from a demand point of view, which is what you mentioned. So the, mm -hmm. you know, growing demand, though Europeans don't see it, especially Germans, because with the Merkel's Energiewende, mm. it's like uranium's dead. But the reality is, The rest of the world doesn't think the way Germany does. Yeah. Um, uranium is booming in India. It's booming in China. And um, even US, I would say, yeah. they're also building new um, plants. Exactly. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a bit of a demand story. Demand is doing well, um, mm -hmm. but it's mostly a supply story because you, I think the, the, the uranium market requires about 180 million pounds of uranium per year. Mm. And yet this year, 
um, only 130 million pounds have been produced by uranium miners. So there's a large gap, a large supply deficit. And how is the supply deficit being uh, filled? It's on the spot market um, because there were there, there was a lot of inventory. So on the secondary market, because yeah. after Fukushima, you had the Japanese, they closed down everything, the Germans as well, blah, blah. So there was a lot of supply overhang in the market for the last for the last um, nine years, essentially. So now this is the, the perfect example that you gave. What's the catalyst? Well, the catalyst is that we're running out of secondary supply of uranium and mines are going to have to come back onto, onto the market to, to supply uranium. But the problem is no one has invested anything in uranium over the last nine years. So you've got mines that are depleting. There are going to be two mine closures next year. Uh, mm. One, I think, in Australia, one in Niger. And there's, there's no new supply. So new, new mines are going to have to come onto the market with, with supply. But in the meantime, that takes time. You don't just switch on a mine. There are mm. a few mines under care and maintenance, which would take between 6 and 12 months to activate. Mm. Um, but it's, it's still not going to be enough. You're going to need more, more mines. So you're going to see the price of uranium unless there's... Uh, unless one... Uh, my understanding is wrong. <laughs> and unless, two, uh, there is a nuclear catastrophe, which kills demand again, um, you're going to mm. see the spot price boom and these mines uh, and new mines come into, into production. So there's probably a lot of money to be made in, in, in mining. In uranium yeah, mines. I'm, I'm just looking at uh, Cameco's stock price. Uh, it's the biggest, uh, I think, um, company uh, in uranium. Yeah. And they're still cheap uh, from, if you zoom out, um, not so cheap if uh, since the beginning of December, but yeah, they, be, a lot of them best. doubled. I think yeah. Cameco did 30, 40% in, uh, mm. in, uh, in December. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of have to observe um, the world or be kind of a world citizen, understand what's going on um, and do your research to um, yeah figure out good um, and, and, stories. And also... You know, lis lis listening is very important. Listening to people who are better than you at some topics. Mm. Um, you know, I honestly I didn't find out about uh, uranium myself. I, mm. I I heard it from from someone, um, and then I looked into it, and I was like, oh wow! And then you know, that's how that's how it started. So just mm. try to find you know, just listen to you know mm. people that are experts in their fields. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Um. You also have written on your uh, in your blog about uh, two countries that are kind of part of Europe, I would say. Um, Budapest, it's not a country, it's a town. And uh, Montenegro. Um, uh, so what, what's the opportunity there? You've written about the Budapest real estate market. I, I was in Budapest like 10 years ago mm -hmm. in some, some Airbnb apartment, mm -hmm. maybe eight years, I don't know. And really nice. And I thought I must buy an apartment here. But I also... Yeah, I was also a little bit late in the game because they have been already. I've observed that the guy with the Airbnb had had multiple Airbnbs, and there was kind of system behind it and so on. So, um, yeah, prices. <laughs> I could imagine that they were increasing, and yeah, I just like uh, the Balkan and wanted to buy. Haven't done. Uh, what do you say? Is it still worth a look, um, um, Hungary or Budapest? Um, I mean, Hungary, uh, Budapest is. Okay, it's it's um, in terms of the real estate market. I'll put it this way: mm. it's it's getting hit hard by 
COVID, uh, or rather not by COVID, but by the government restrictions that have been put with COVID. So there was a very large amount of Airbnbs in downtown Budapest, and obviously they're now sitting empty. At the same time, there is also Budapest dependent on the rental market mm. in downtown, dependent a lot on foreign students from everywhere in the world studying at, at universities in, in Budapest. And also with all the government restrictions, people have been less willing to, to go to Budapest to study. So what you find is all these Airbnbs have been put on the long-term market just as the demand for long-term rentals has gone down. So rents have plummeted, uh, prices have started dropping. Um, I, I think they're going to continue dropping for a bit. Um, so personally, I wouldn't be in a rush to buy in Budapest. Mm -hmm. That being said, there are opportunities. You can go to Budapest now and put some lowball offers uh, with people that are starting to, to pay their mortgages because the moratoria are going to end pretty soon. Mm -hmm. So some people would prefer to sell now before they try to sell along with everyone else. So there are deals. There are already some bank deals that are starting to show up in terms of like mortgages that went bust, et cetera. So there are opportunities. Um, so if people are sitting on a lot of cash in the bank and they're not feeling very safe, you know, if you have like a few hundred thousand euros sitting in like a Deutsche Bank account, uh, you know, <laughs> overpaying a little bit for Budapest property, which in the bigger scheme of things is still very cheap by European standards. You get a nice apartment downtown Budapest for less than 2,000 euros a square meter. Hmm. Um, okay, great. You might overpay by like 10, 15%, you know, okay, whatever, big deal. Hmm. You know, it'll go back up eventually at some point, inshallah. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, maybe, but I, I wouldn't be in a rush. Montenegro is, Montenegro is different. Montenegro is, is really a, a plan B destination. I, I see it that way. It's a beautiful little country. Uh, real estate is you know, fairly priced. It's uh, substantially cheaper than in Croatia. It's not in the European Union, which for many can be an advantage. Um, it has just owning property there gives you residency rights. Um, it's mm -hmm. got a 9% income tax rate, so low taxes. Uh, when you're there, it's, it's like super peaceful, not too, much, not too many government regulations. You, you, know, the, it's, it's a, you can go skiing, you go swimming. Uh, life is cheap. You know, you, I've paid in some places like a euro for a pint. <laughs> uh, you know, I like that. So Montenegro is a, a very good lifestyle destination. A plan B and... Somewhere that's good to, you know, if you decide to live in Europe, but you don't want to pay all the high taxes, Montenegro is a, a good place. And it's got a few, it's got two airports with quite a few links to, to the rest of Europe. So I, I kind of see it that way, but like is going to Montenegro, buying property, hoping to make it killing. No, but you get, you know, good quality property at, at very reasonable prices with gorgeous views and, and a great lifestyle setting. Oh, but people are doing it because of the uh, residency uh, residency for the European Union that might come or not come. Well, you know, people people who do this are are probably making a mistake because mm. as, if if Montenegro were to join the European Union, you can be quite sure that the EU would say, "Wait, you're giving residency to people who buy a fifty thousand year fifty thousand year uh, euro apartment." Hell no. As part of the next chapter's negotiation, you're going to remove this. 
So I, I wouldn't count on it to get into the EU. I would just count on it for, you know, just being there whilst it's not in the EU. And there's no guarantee they're going to join the EU. They've been saying this. I mean, when I first started doing deals, deals there a few years ago, they were saying, oh, 2020, 2021, uh, Montenegro in the EU, for sure, for sure. Now it's 2025. Hmm. <laughs> okay, so some, some risk uh, involved if you, a few things that they go get that you can get into the EU by this. Uh, I mean, turned out to I'll, be. I'll put it this way. From... I'll put it this way. If it goes into the EU, it'll suck for your residency rights. But for your apartment, the prices are, there's going to be a re rating of property as soon as it's in the mm. EU. So, yeah. you know, chances are if it joins the EU, you'll see me selling my property to some European. Uh, can you send me a text message then? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, interesting. Um, so, how would you approach for, like for me as a, as a, as a lazy German um, or lazy in general? Um, how would I. Uh, if you were lazy, you wouldn't be doing this podcast. <laughs> Um, if you're true. watching Netflix, um, true, it's a kind of quarter to 10, um, in the evening. And uh, I was thinking about buying a property in, in, in Portugal and or in Lisbon or in different countries, but I haven't, haven't done that because I cannot, you know, I can get a loan, but only for Germany. So I have to get a loan outside of Germany. So first, first issue and so, and so on, I've just haven't done that. So I'm asking myself, what's the pro what's the problem? So um, I'm just looking at property in Berlin. So with 5,500 euros per square meter, which is more than a thousand <laughs> in, in Budapest. So, I mean, makes no sense. You know, you, you can, it you makes sense if you use, you know, a fixed rate mortgage over 20 years and, you know, and you hope that inflation is going to come. Mm. You know, and if inflation comes, party time. Um, so speculation uh, on an, an increasing price. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, but it's not based on fundamentals. It's because like buying in Berlin would just be speculating on other people speculating to keep the to keep the thing going, and on on mm. inflation because the yields are are bad. Like once you pay all your tax, you rent it out, you pay all your taxes, you deal with everything, and I think You're it's one, making, two, one, one, two percent. It's, yeah, exactly. It's like probably one and a half percent. I mean, mm. that's pitiful. Um, and then you, you, you can expect that governments are going to make things even more complicated in terms of tenant laws and all of that tenants. So you're, you're really speculating on other people buying this thing for more than you later on because of lower interest rates mm. or suddenly inflation kicking in and you having locked in a 1% interest rate over 20 years and inflation comes at like, you know, six, 7%, whatever, you know, then that's, that's a very good deal. So I'd say that's the sort of play. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't say don't do it. I just say, just be very much aware of, of what it is you're getting into. Mm. Okay. So it's a slightly different take that I've heard from other people. Um, I have um, another question uh, that is also related how to learn investing. So I have, I have told Alva about my stock portfolio and I told him it's like 50% up. So, and he said, okay, that's just luck. You know, um, I have my ETF. So in the long run, you cannot win because fund managers, they have always lost and so on. So what, the question, what I was researching then after this discussion for two to three hours in the internet is how can I differentiate the luck from skill when, uh, when you judge about your portfolio? Uh, how, how do you know that it's not an accident that you uh, made 
higher in, in terms of yourself uh i don't know self-awareness like <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you obviously know if when you, when you have like 10 years and you 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 outperformed uh your your benchmarks then you kind of know that must be some skill involved um but until then <laughs> you kind of um yeah it's hard you know um yeah but be, because you have always this etf like, like the seven percent seven to nine percent um that you can even leverage um so you have to kind of you you put a lot, put in a lot of effort yeah, a lot of time you fly to Uzbekistan, you talk to a lot of people um so it must be uh worth it so kind from a i mean it's worth it because you get to know to people and you you learn about the world but it must be also wor um, worse on paper so that's the question um if, if people want and listening yeah they can be uh, send me some studies about how to judge if you a good investor and, and you you're doing it using skills instead of just um yeah you know anyway so um i would like to finish it up because we have talked like an hour oh, wow. <laughs> um oh, and click was flying yeah time's flying um so what is your advice what would be some low-hanging fruits for uh, fruits for people what what's what could they do if they want to internationalize their investing um look educate yourself I think I think that's that's really key. Um, learn about the world, educate yourself, ask questions, listen, try to remain objective, and really look at different viewpoints. That's very important because now nowadays the propaganda is so strong on all sides. You know, I'm not trying to pick any sides, but there, there's so much propaganda and so much. Mm. You know, everyone's thinking the same, et cetera, et cetera. If if you're thinking like everyone else is thinking it might be hard to, you know, beat the index. Um, so if you want to do better than the average, you have to go the extra step and is to always ask yourself, what's the other side? And to really be, be critical about everything you read. So one, st one step could be just tuning out of your national newspaper and yeah. just subscribing some, some newspapers from other countries. Yeah. Um, and, and don't hesitate to, to pay people. Um, you know, when I, when I saw... Um, two years ago when I started investing in, in precious metals, I saw a trend. I was like, I looked at the fundamentals and I saw, cool, that's, that's something I want, I want to get into. Um, I want to get into mining, into, you know, precious metals, mining, gold mining, silver mining stocks, but I'm not a mining guy. I studied business. I studied law. I, you know, sold milk for Nestle in Africa. I don't know anything about mining. So sure. You can watch some YouTube videos, but it's not going to be enough. So I, you know, I subscribed to some newsletters. I, I listened to some experts and I didn't just subscribe to one newsletter. I subscribed to two different newsletters and I get different viewpoints and, and, I, and I read. And when I have questions, sometimes I even contact the newsletter writers and, you know, I ask them some questions. They're kind enough to answer because I'm a paying customer. And that's how I learn. So it's some of the best information mm -hmm. and advice, unfortunately, you have to pay for. <laughs> um, and that's something yeah. that our generation hates to do because uh, we've been used to so much, you know, free stuff all over. But the reality is some of the best content out there <laughs> is you, you have to pay for it a little bit. And it's never that expensive, uh, but, you know, you have to pay. I, I have to con confirm this. You can find a lot on, on YouTube for the topic, but only the free stuff is not in depth or it's maybe you get it later than other people and yeah. then it's too late basically yeah. i'm also a subscriber of like five or six um yeah 
sources and mm -hmm. also sharing them sometimes with other people. No. But uh, it gives it gives you an edge and you save so much time um, because yeah. you um, it's just they delivering research yeah. and it's just easy to consume and it saves you time. So if your time is more worth more than the the newsletter, then you should just subscri subscribe if you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The advice is don't be cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so very good. So, where are you from, or what's what's your life purpose? I mean, you finished a, a career, kind of your corporate career. So, what are you doing in ten years? Um, I, I still mean, have headhunters hit me up once in a while on LinkedIn. I'm like, yeah, no, 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 thank you. I'm good for now. <laughs> okay, so if your if your investments uh, turn out not to work so well, you can you can go back. Yeah, the, the day you see me with a job, it means. <laughs> I put, I put too much money in uranium and uh, there was a nuclear accident. <laughs> oh, that, that's the guy who put too much money in uranium. Yeah, and yeah. It's, now, <laughs> it's now working for Royal Dutch Shell again. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I will put, um, what's, what's your website? Tell me about um, your Great. website and links and so on. Yeah. So I talk about a lot about investment opportunities all over the world as I travel. Um, the, last, the last reports I wrote were on Egypt. I spent some time in Egypt and looked at real estate there. I saw some really interesting things. Less than $500 a square meter for quality real estate. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I wrote all about that. But essentially, you go to my website, thewanderinginvestor.com. So wandering is in walking, thewanderinginvestor.com. And make sure to subscribe to the private list. It's free so that you don't miss out on any of the um, on any of the posts. Private sounds very exclusive, but it's basically <laughs> but it's a free. newsletter. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, so I, yeah. I, I did do marketing, you know, before. So <laughs> uh, okay, um, yeah, maybe we can also rename our newsletter and private list. Uh, good, good point. Um, do you have also some some tips about? Um, I will also put the link in the show notes, basically. But do you have also you. some tips about? newsletters paid newsletters or just a book that you've read about investing or financial independence or that you can maybe recommend to people that maybe are not well known like cash flow um the cash flow game book um one one that's really good uh it's by german so maybe a lot of uh, your audience knows it it's uh, must be under undervaluechairs.com mm -hmm. it's It's uh, a guy called uh, Sven Lorenz. Um, he used to work in corporate for a long time. And he's got, he's, he's got a crazy statistic. If you sign up to his free newsletter, his conversion rate is over 60%. So over 60% of people who sign up to his free newsletter end up converting to the paid one. And the paid one is only 49 USD per year. And you get about like 10 to 12 like large 40-page reports on like individual stocks and then he also does the the follow-through on the follow-up on these stocks like all along um so it's fantastic value i've subscribed for for a while now i probably buy like two or three of these stocks every every um every year uh not all of them you know depending on my own objectives and stuff and the the roi has been fantastic and just the education just Reading his reports and going through his thought process is worth way more than the $49 a year. Um, so also, I, I really recommend that. It's such a no-brainer. But if you don't want to spend $49, do not sign up to the free one because <laughs> he will upsell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you probably should have also more than $49 to invest, um, yeah. first of all. And then you can also subscribe to a newsletter. 
Um, but it's uh, I can also confirm that it's really cheap, um, especially for German and um, other newsletters. They charge like fifty dollars per month, so yeah. that's why it makes sense to to at least. Um, I told them raise your price. I was like, dude, raise your price. <laughs> but he's not doing it, so sign up before he listens to me. Last <laughs> um, last one question I haven't asked you is where do you come from? Uh, I'm from France initially, originally. France. Okay. Yeah, originally, yeah. Ah, cool. And I barely ever lived there, but I'm originally from. Was, what was the first country you in the, your first two years? Um, like Canada and France. Canada, France. Okay. Um, and where is the, the only word you know in German is Energiewende. <laughs> Wir können auch auf Deutsch sprechen, kein Problem. Ich habe mal in Deutschland gewohnt. Ah, <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> Interesting. So you have told me um, like an hour ago. Um, cool. Then um, we have to finish it because it's already too long. Um, then let's talk in a year and or maybe in between. And cool. thanks for all your uh, tips and advice and some practical information on strategies, countries, and so on. Um, wish my listeners and our listeners a great day. And yeah, see you soon. Thank you, Matthias. Cheers. Bye. -bye. Hey Matthias, do you think there are no financial independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddits, in Facebook groups, the Five Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is, in the end, the main reason why we started the whole podcast project to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe Podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe Podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>